welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. You can go to westminstereffects.com and buy stuff. Also join the group Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. That's on Facebook. You can join the discussion and you can be entered to win a book every month. Go there for the details. I'm not going to repeat them right now. You can also support the show at anchor.fm. Even just a dollar a month is awesome. Also, make sure you subscribe and comment Facebook and Instagram at Westminster Effects. Uh, one Bradley Cox is not with us today, but I am joined by... Hey, everybody. John Ross here, Westminster Effects artist, Augsburgian Christian, worship musician from Lincoln, Nebraska, if that matters. And uh, currently... Um, I'm not cold, but there are many who are. It's like negative 15 here. So yeah, no, you are cold. I think it, you're many, just lying I think about. Me, it. I think much of I, I'm right underneath a heat vent. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, this is a question that uh, that many people will probably hear as I'm just about to ask my wife. Did it start? Was it happy about it? No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's cold. No doubt. Yeah. It is a balmy 41 degrees here in the upstate of South Carolina as we record. Uh, we're recording on February 16th, and we typically release these about a week after we record. So hopefully you've had some stuff melt by the time uh, this comes out. Hopefully. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll probably warm up, but I don't know if it'll warm up above freezing. I mean, we've we've had the same snow for weeks now, and it just keeps getting added to it. So, Well, better you than me. Well, uh, we were uh, all tapped out on episode ideas, so we're just going to do a big old Inquisition episode, mm-hmm. and we're just going to have fun with it. We got a bunch of questions. You people showed up and showed out. So, as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, why does bad tone happen to good guitarists? You know, that that's actually a good question. <laughs> that's, that's actually a really good question. Um, you know, bad tone is, is subjective, you know, definitely. Yep. Um, and I, I don't think anyone can say that's, you know, that's bad tone because like even, uh, so, uh, Tyler Larson, the guy from music is when he released a video, it's like the worst guitar tones that are the most famous tones. And one was, uh, um, I think it was Billy Jean. Uh, the little, uh, the funk groove about halfway through. Yep. Uh, it was plugged right into a desk. He, he isolated it. It sounded like it was just a good uh, electric guitar, like a strap plugged straight into a desk, like a mixing desk. And, uh, and that's just what it was, but it fits so perfect for the song. So is that bad tone? Mm-hmm. No, no, it's not. In fact, you know, like, um, I've been working on some recording projects recently. And although this is something that I'm aware of is, um, it, it always, uh, it, it's never my first, uh, uh, kind of thing to do with my workflow it is a guitar that sounds great or, or, or a bass or a drum kit or keys or whatever, even a vocal that sounds great on its own, nice, full, rich is either going to get lost in the mix is going to, uh, is going to sit strangely. Uh, it's not going to mm-hmm. give enough room for other things. I mean, if you solo a bunch of stuff out, like sometimes it just sounds terrible, but when you put it together, it's amazing. And, right. uh, and because there, there's limited sonic space, right? I, you know, the, the concept of, of, of bad tone is, I mean, I suppose there's, there's two ways. One, it doesn't suit the song, Right. That doesn't suit yes. the song or the arrangement, yes. and the other is it's not the sound that you heard in your head. Um, mm, yeah, both of which I would argue have nothing to do with quote having the right gear. I think it's one hundred percent the amount of time that you invest into curating and crafting that sound and uh, being aware of what those others people around you in uh, in live music or in recorded music for that matter uh, are doing with their sound and working together in concert if you will 
Yeah, though I will say the worst, at least the worst experience I've ever had uh, playing live music uh, was because of a gear failure. Mm. Um, and I don't know exactly where in the chain this gear failure was. My All of my guitar stuff worked, uh, but my band was playing uh, a youth room show, and that can either go really well or really terrible. And the latter happened. <laughs> and uh so we were playing with a bunch of other hardcore bands and they were all just like cranking their amps and going stage volume and i've always hated doing that mm-hmm. and and so we were pretty insistent like yeah we we really need to mic our our guitars you know we move around on stage so you know we need to you know hear ourselves through the wedges and yeah all that and and we have a keys guy and all that kind of stuff so he can't just crank a keyboard amp (laughs) keep up with hundred watt half stacks, which is what we were playing at the time. And I don't know if it was a short in the mic cable or if it was a setting on the board or what have you. Uh, but we hit the first chord and what I heard out of my monitor, uh, sounded less like metal and more like, uh, farting Jimi Hendrix. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm not one for for abusing musical equipment and especially other people's. Uh, but as soon as I could, I just ran back to my amp, cranked the amp because that's what I had to do. And in the process, I just kind of flipped over the mic stand. <laughs> I was uh, I was pretty hot after that one, and and really, the, everybody in the band was was pretty heated after that because it was the worst experience any of us had ever had playing live music. Mm. And it was, and it was all venue related, like legitimately it wasn't, it wasn't us just not having a good night and coming off the stage and like, man, the sound guy blew it. I couldn't hear anything. Yeah. No, it was like, it really was the sound mm. guy that caused our, our issues that night. Yeah. The, you know, and, and that, that's also, you know, if if they were prepared, if they were invested, you know, that's something. But these small, you know, small shows, it's it's hard, sometimes hard to come by that. Um, you know, your story reminds me of a Metallica fail video <clears throat> on YouTube, uh, where uh, oh geez, uh, Hatfield is lead vocals, right? James Hatfield, yeah, yeah, uh, started uh, playing. Whatever. Um, that one, a hit, and uh, his uh, his drive wasn't on. It was just clean. It was just a clean yes. EMG sort of thing. It was it was real bad uh, for the song um, and just real bad in general. But he he owned it. You know, he was like, yeah, come on. Uh, <laughs> but Metallica, you know, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, to give a give a more uh, you know philosophical answer, Brian, uh, it's to keep us humble. If we had good tone all the time, we'd never have the the desire to uh, refine our knowledge and to grow more, uh, to to play more, to uh, hashtag buy more Westminster effects. You know, we wouldn't have that opportunity. So. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a business. So. <clears throat> Indeed. Uh, so cynically, yes. Um, so Corey Truax submitted a couple of questions. Check out his podcast as we often plug here. Just look up his name. You're going to find him. He uh, This first question is, how hard do you judge a grown man for being a hardcore Taylor Swift fan? And I know Corey... He is a hardcore Taylor Swift fan and actually did a segment on Taylor Swift re-releasing an album and him having some second thoughts on should I like this music or not? Mm. And I will go on record, Corey. Yes, I did judge you a little bit during that section. (laughs) But how hard? How hard did you judge? Uh... I judged him pretty hard. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I have to his face made fun of him for liking Taylor Swift before. So, so he knows that I'm judging him already. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I don't know, you know, I've mentioned here before that, that I, I actually enjoy Hanson. I enjoy pop punk, like 
click five and stuff like that. Like I enjoy that stuff. And other people are like, oh, this trash. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe they're right, but it's fun trash. And it, 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 <laughs> it brings, it brings me a, a smattering of, uh, of, of joy. Cause like, Hey, this feels like high school. This is great. Right. Um, now, of, of course, all that, all that, that said tongue in cheek, I don't care what you listen to. Absolutely. Um, and, and particularly being a fan of, a of, metal genres and and stuff like that there's so much elitism mm. in those genres that i have to deal with like I, i'm wearing a periphery hoodie as we record which you commented on when mm-hmm. when we first got on and fantastic and, and there are there are metal elitists who just detest periphery i don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna listen to what i listen to uh now now should Corey be listening to a teeny bopper <laughs> <laughs> Uh, jury's out on that. I mean, it's not like he's listening to the Hannah Montana soundtrack, <laughs> or right. is he? That that could come out in the in the next Inquisition. Maybe Corey is listening to the Hannah Montana soundtrack, or hey, uh, you get the best of both worlds, or or maybe he, he has get a, that reference, but other people will. Maybe he has a deep dark secret of uh, of in his free time mashing up Hannah Montana with Miley Cyrus. Oh. Like he finds songs in the same key <laughs> and mashes them up somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Stranger things have happened. They have, you know, I don't, yeah, we don't care what you listen to. Just don't rub it in people's face. Right. That's the, don't, don't have it be like, um, you know, there's that joke. It's like, how do you know if someone does CrossFit? Don't worry. They'll tell you. Right. Yeah. Like, just don't be like, Oh my gosh, have you heard Taylor Swift's new album? Oh my god, it's amazing. Like just don't, don't <laughs> like you can say that once and we'll probably ignore you, but we're not going to like detest you. If you say it again, Matthew 18 comes into play. And <laughs> <laughs> so so just, so what charge would this be in church discipline? Is this idolatry? <laughs> Is this just being a little creepy or yeah where's where's the verse about being a little creepy <laughs> uh so his Corey's second question is is much more serious and it's it's actually something that uh while i'm not keeping up necessarily with the uh the parties involved uh i am kind of tracking this a little bit because it hits closer to home um, he says, we have an interesting three-way race for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He says he'll be voting in that race in June. Uh, and it appears the defining issue will be how the three candidates interact with critical race theory. He asks if we have any thoughts on that. Uh, so the biggest, uh, the biggest name running is Albert Moeller. He's president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary hosts the briefing, uh, hosts, uh, thinking in public. The guy is absolutely brilliant and he is, he's very much against critical race theory. Uh, the other two guys, uh, there's one guy who is part of, I believe the conservative Baptist network, but I don't recall his, um, his name. And he is very much against critical race theory. And then there's another guy who is very much for, uh, critical race theory, and there was um, a resolution passed uh, in in the Southern Baptist Convention a couple of years ago, basically saying that critical race theory can be a useful tool in analyzing things. Uh, the The controversy is basically, well, if if the framework that builds out that tool <laughs> rejects uh, the God of of the Bible, then should you use that tool? Mm. And and most conservative Christians say, well, no, um, you know, when when you object, reject objective truths, which is what critical yep. race theory does, uh, when you when you reject the fact that we are all created in the image of and likeness of God, and instead go to Darwinian postmodernism, well, no, you shouldn't use that tool. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, just I, point I, blank. I mean, they're, uh, I mean. I'll, I'll be completely forthright. You know, CRT is is not something that I had really any exposure to um, until there. Uh, I, I mentioned this um, oh a, a while back. It was probably 
two months at this point, um, uh, until one of our pastors had, had written a message that was to be uh, done at, at both campuses. And I, I think he presented it at both campuses, actually. Mm-hmm. No, he just pre- he just did it at at the summer camp. It doesn't it doesn't matter uh, where it was done, um, but it was it was done both and just say hey look at it here, um, and you know I I went into it a little bit as for you know research and, and just like to yeah. see what's going on here, and, and because my first thing was like this isn't a sermon, like th- this isn't. You know, this is a lecture on a philosophical paradigm, and and it, it was one about um, really uh, how it's not accurate because it does, in fact, reject uh, um, reject the providence of God. But it was presented in a way that was just it it it, it left so many open questions for people who had no idea what this was and were just kind of presented it to him. So I, I looked into it a little bit. And while there are some things that it posits, that the theory posits that, you know, we can we can look and observe and be like, oh, okay, I can see that if the foundation of it is contrary to the foundation of our churches, then it as a whole should probably be rejected should some of the logical outcomes as far as behaviors and um and modifications and or or things that uh, awarenesses that we otherwise would not have had um i think maybe it's time to recalibrate our own lens and making sure that we're using scripture as a lens through which to view uh the uh, the value of god's creation um yeah there's, there's, there's no substitute for that yeah, and there's one. There's a lot of straw manning going on on both sides. Sure, where, where there's like four people who say, "Oh, well, systemic racism just doesn't exist ever," uh, which you know, obviously CRT says, "Well, yes, it does," but then CRT goes too far and says it exists mm-hmm. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a difference between saying a law or set of laws was either crafted in order to hurt a specific group of people we've seen that happen uh or that they disproportionately affect a certain group of people uh and it's not simply because they do that thing more often uh i think of i think of things like drug use where uh, the overwhelming majority of people in prisons uh and for nonviolent drug offenses are black people uh when you know to, to boil it down to the dichotomy of black and white white people and black people smoke weed at pretty much the same, the same clip, the great, um, the great unifier, the great unifier, <laughs> the dube. <laughs> we, we're, we're referencing smoking weed a whole lot on this podcast lately. <laughs> and I promise I have never, nor do I ever intend to smoke weed. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's, there's a difference between saying, yes, we can be honest that some things have hurt some people and we should remedy that. But then to turn around and say, and say things like, uh, the Protestant work ethic or being punctual are racist <laughs> and artifacts of whiteness, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, like that that's absurd and it needs to be called absurd and we need to laugh it out of the Southern Baptist convention, even though I'm not Southern Baptist. Um, but yeah, like this is, this is kind of a big deal. Um, JD Greer hasn't particularly helped with some of these things saying that, you know, the Bible whispers about sexual sin and stuff like that. No, it doesn't. Have you ever read Romans one? Um, yeah, so I, I would imagine that Moeller will probably win that, <laughs> and uh, and it'll be good for the SBC and ultimately for uh, conservative evangelicalism as a whole. For okay, the next so couple of years. I have a quick follow up question here, and this is this is due to my my geographical uh, uh, distance from the heart of the SBC. Brian Morris has a reply to uh, to Corey's question. At the end, he said, uh, someone's campaign commercial was pretty solid. What? Like, uh, 
am, am I picturing that accurately in my head? Like, are there are there television like television commercials ads for for these I can, presents? I I'm, can just, I'm sorry, you can hear the you can hear the. <laughs> The the vibe of ridiculousness in my voice. The the, the guy right, from the the pro uh, CRT guy, Albert Muller hates black people. And <laughs> <laughs> but no, like, <laughs> like like are are there legitimately commercials? Apparently, apparently, because like it, Corey says, he'll be voting at the at in the race he calls it a race like like it's it i mean granted right. it's political and i'm not about to say that uh that you know there there's not a concept of a of a race in even like the the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate although i would say all of the uh, the nasty politics probably takes place behind closed doors uh where the majority of the LCMS politics takes place cuz you're Lutheran and you don't talk about bad things right um but when he said commercial, I was just like, I, man, I wonder what that would like. Does it air like just on TBN or, or like, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, uh, let's lighten it up a little bit. Matt Paragoy says unforeseen or sloppy wet. Uh, I know where he got the, the the fodder for this question is Crowder because he, he shared his response. Crowder posted a thing. It's like, tell someone you're a Crowder fan without telling them you're a Crowder fan. And he said, for instance, uh, you always sing Unforeseen because, you know, John Mark, was it John Mark McMillan that did uh, Sloppy Wet? I don't recall. It was him or the other guy. There's there's two people that are just like, they've got a, they've got a kind of weird thing going on. And one of them is that... Um, I don't. The first time I ever heard that song was unforeseen, and so unforeseen. Sloppy wet is strange, but I even the imagery, even the imagery, like because it, it wasn't unforeseen, like it was it was, mm-hmm. prophes- it was prophesied. It's like Mary, did you know? Yup, yep. uh, you know, like you know, heaven meets earth. Okay, kiss, intimacy relationship the 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 idea of emmanuel god with us in the flesh it's very intimate uh, with the bride and, and, yes yeah, like, yes 100 um but the kiss is always foreseen mm-hmm. in, in a wedding right in heaven meets earth like a passionate kiss i don't know because then that's like mm. <laughs> yeah i don't know they're both creepy honestly yeah. and and if we're honest I don't think it's that great of a song. It's not. It's not going to hold up in the long term, and it already isn't. Yeah, uh, that's that's all I got to say about that. Um, <laughs> so Casey Starnes says between listening to Jeff Durbin and our Hems and Hops episode, mm. uh, he's been feeling Going compelled to reach out. Yeah, yeah, he's been feeling compelled to reach out to the his community more through his church. And he says they have a reputation of not being involved in the community because most of the churches in his area that have partnered together uh, have done so in a theologically unsound, borderline preaching a false gospel way. Um, Mm. And he's starting a men's ministry of work projects when the weather gets nicer. He says, but what are some other ways that our church can reach out to our community? I'm feeling like there are some obvious options that I'm not seeing so I, I actually have been thinking a decent amount about this, uh, this kind of thing. Um, like if, if you're going to go do projects for people like paint a house that needs painting, uh, repair a deck rail, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. Um, but if all you do is, is slap a Jesus loves you at the end, or can I pray for you at the end? That's basically the gospel equivalent of be warm and fed. Yeah. And you haven't you haven't really done all that much. Like if you're going to get the gospel out there, get the gospel out there. And if you want to use doing good things as the vehicle, great. Um point number 2 for me would be don't rely on programmatizing it. Just go do it. Right? Um this is where particularly um our Presbyterian friends are are better at making the distinction between the institutional church and the Christian individually, or even groups of Christians, right? Mm. You don't have to have uh, 
uh, a subcommittee at your church to go do this kind of stuff. Just get some friends together and be like, hey, this dude needs whatever. Or, hey, how about we go, uh, go, um, you know, whether it's handing out tracks or street preaching or whatever, like, hey, let's just go do that thing. Hmm. Now, obviously, obviously still answering to the elders in your church. Sure. If, if something goes wrong, <laughs> uh, like if, if you're, if you're going out there and, and pushing people up against walls and stuffing tracks in their pockets, that's church <laughs> discipline issue. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. Aggressive uh, Christianity. <laughs> uh, and some people might be into that. I don't know. Um, but, but the point being just, just go make the thing happen. Uh, figure out a need in the community that you can fulfill and, and just make it happen. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. I mean, the, I will say that, you know, I, I have been, uh, I've had the desire to, to see something like hymns and hops locally. Now, I mean, case is actually goes to, to one of your, one of your other questions here is I, I don't, I don't drink anymore. And so, my, uh, I don't have a relationship with these breweries and 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 these uh, these pubs and whatnot. Um, but I think that that would be a fantastic way um, to uh, to present uh, a gospel message uh, in in a way that's uh, you know obviously someone someone walks into the bar just to to get a drink and they hear live music. It's like, hey, wait a sec. You know, it's not like singing the doxology is gonna is is going to soften that person's heart, um, but uh, a a event such as that has always appealed to me as something that yeah. like would be fun to do. But to Cody's point is that um, you know our desire to spread the gospel is based upon uh, our new life in Christ, our sanctified lives in Christ, mm-hmm. and. Well, everything is more uh, appealing if it allows us to do something we enjoy. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best way right now to tell someone about Jesus. Yeah, and and I will also say, um, you know, kind of bouncing off the hymns and hops thing. Um, let's let's say you are a Christian musician and you have a band. Uh, not not every show that you have needs to include a gospel presentation. Mm-hmm. And, and I would even say sometimes it shouldn't include one from the stage. Uh, sometimes you need to have that just come from conversations afterward, uh, after or before rather. Um, not every song needs to be a worship song. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. I remember like, going to, uh, uh, I used to, when in college, I used to go to Life White up in Sioux Falls, um, you know, big Christian music festival. And uh, almost every big band would stop in the middle. They do, you know, they point when I saw Planet Shakers here in town, you know, I've mentioned that before. Um, yep. They do some big passionate, you know, thing, uh, musical number. And then there'd almost be, a, almost always be a speaker that would do some sort of not quite altar call to music festival, but pretty much sinner's prayer sort of stuff. And I, I, you know, I don't want to say that that there's times with that that's not appropriate or that doesn't work, um, but you know, sometimes the most organic way uh, to be that city on a hill, be that light to the world, is uh, is not shoving it down their throats right away. Right. I know that's right. I know that's ambiguous. There, there's there's a tremendous amount of amount of discernment to be had with this, mm-hmm. and um, and it particularly gets uh, awkward when it when it turns into like I'm if I'm if I'm at a show I want to go hear music right sure and, and whether it's a political rant or or, yep. or an altar call or what have you I'm there for the music right mm-hmm. and and so it, I've sat through some really, really awkward <laughs> presentations uh, in my time, whether playing or just going to shows. Uh, I will say there was one show uh, that we played at a church here and it was just such a bait and switch. Mm. Uh, and it, and it really made me angry. Like they, uh, they had 
uh, a band open and, you know, the energy was up, that band killed it. And then this dude gets up there and delivers a dumpster fire of a sermon. And then another guy gets up there and does a 20 minute, 20 minute altar call. And it was all about what have you done for God? Like it was, it was all works. There was no grace. And, uh, so I asked our singer, our former singer, who, like, he's, he's a worship pastor, and he would normally <laughs> say, uh, depending on the show, like, he would kind of feel it out, you know, and if it's at a church, then people are probably more ready for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he would normally take that kind of thing if he felt it was the right time. And I was like, hey, can I take before the last song tonight? And I took about two and a half minutes and completely contradicted everything that was said during that sermon and altar call about grace and grace and grace and grace. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and at that time, I think it was appropriate. Oh you know? yeah. Um, there have been other times when maybe it wasn't, you know? And, uh, so just feel that out. Uh, just be intentional. That's the big thing. Like if you're going to do it, do it. Yeah. If you're not don't, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah don't uh don't take the solo in a song if uh you're not prepared for the solo in the song you know what I mean? yes yes all right next question ryan mansueto shout out to ryan um friend of mine such he says how like-minded should the theology of the various elders within a church body be particularly of the elders who will share the pulpit and teach doctrines, beliefs, and or creeds held by the church. If you had to rank the various branches of theology, such as soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, uh, eschatology, the doctrine of uh, last things, uh, ecclesiology, doctrine of the church, etc., by the importance of like-mindedness within the elder team, how would you rank them? Hmm. And uh, I, I got to, because the more, the more I get into things, the more connected everything is, right? Sure. Like, like eschatology actually is connected to soteriology and it actually is connected to ecclesiology and it actually is connected to theology proper and Christology and all that kind of stuff. Like all of it's connected, but um, I got to think at least in terms of pulpit stuff, uh, soteriology has to be right up there. Yeah, uh, there has to be a pretty good agreement on that. Um, like if if you're Southern Baptist traditionalist, ask Jesus into your heart kind of kind of guy, and there's never an altar call because there's a Calvinist preaching, right? <laughs> yeah, those can't really coexist. Yeah, um, there's I think there's more leeway for eschatology to an extent. Uh, but as a post mill guy, I would have a whole lot of trouble sitting under preaching that was very, very dispensational every week mm. and, and talking about preparing us for the rapture. Like, or if it flip flopped every week and you were, or someone, if it flip flopped, yeah, or you were someone who wasn't, uh, wasn't convinced by what you've seen in scripture, uh, to the, the post mill camp and yep. you got different messages every week. Oh yeah, I mean. Oh yeah. It, so it, at the end of a month, you'd be like, "I get it, Jesus saves, but how? You know, <laughs> and when? Is it and why? Or was and it like why? Before? Yeah. And what's Israel doing? I'm so confused. Yeah. You know? Um, I I honestly think that uh, when I first read this question, you know, as uh, um. As someone of the Lutheran tradition, when we think elders, that is more of a uh, a pastoral assistance and care office uh, within okay. uh, within the Lutheran tradition. Um, uh, sort of a spears up, spears out for uh, our for our pastors. That sort of thing. In some congregations, they are the board of directors uh, for a church as well. Um, so I, I guess in the uh, in in the Titus vein, um, the uh, uh, the pastor would be more the overseer, and the elders would be uh, 
I don't know. Paul doesn't really allude to a board of directors in uh, in his letter to Titus. Uh, <laughs> but um, so when I first saw that, I was like, "Yeah, you know, soteriology and ecclesiology ecclesiology are probably the most the most primary there." Um, but then I was like, "Wait a second. I mean, there's 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 preaching in this, and and that's actually something. I mean, I've uh, you know, I've I've preached it." At our churches as well, and I will say that if I disagreed on any of these points uh, with the Lutheran confessions or with the pastor pastoral leadership of the church, I wouldn't have been asked to do that. Right. Um, not and at, only, and at the very least, yeah. uh, within within the confession, like if you have uh, some minor disagreement, for for example, uh, the PCA allows uh, non hard Sabbatarian pastors to being their denomination. And that, that actually has been fairly controversial. And uh, so if it's something more minor, uh, then maybe you would be allowed to teach, but maybe not teach on that thing. That, sure. That's one option, right? Where if, uh, if, if the church is properly reformed, five point Calvinists, and, um, and maybe you have questions or doubts about, about the, uh, the you mm-hmm. uh, or, or what have you, just as an example in Tulip, um, then maybe you just end up preaching on something that doesn't address that. You know, so, mm-hmm. yep. so uh, yeah, anyway, uh, let's take a quick break here, plug an ad in, assuming Anchor, Anchor likes me this week, and we'll be right back. And we're back with this episode-long inquisition. Matthew Winter has a question about biblical scholarship. He says, a lot of times those of, quote-unquote, highest scholarship hold heterodox, semi-heretical views, and even full-blown heretical views. He thinks of Tim Mackey, Michael Heiser, Peter Enns. Uh, He says, if high critique of the text leads to heretical views, then how can we be certain that orthodoxy is really even a thing? if these high-level scholars come to a different conclusion. Mm. Um, Brian Morris, if you're in the group, go back to Brian Morris's comment uh, responding to this, uh, where he he says you have to look at uh, the rise of modern Protestant liberalism, uh, stuff like Schleiermacher, uh, the whole quest for the historical Jesus, and and, you know, it's denying that Jesus was divine, denying the resurrection, uh, et cetera. That's the framework that guys like Peter Enns are coming from. Um, and so one thing that we have to keep in mind is one, they're, they're coming from an unbelieving worldview in the first place, uh, not approaching scripture as the word of God. So there's that also higher textual criticism, uh, is the better term for that is form criticism. So what they do is look at the word choices of certain uh, biblical passages and say, well, that couldn't have been because, or what have you. So that's how we get uh, theories that there were three different offers, authors for Isaiah, and maybe even another source that we don't know about, which they say all these things, and then they offer exactly zero proof for it. Which honestly is hilarious that people take them seriously when when they posit these things. Like if, if you're going to make an assertion, you need to provide proof other than, oh, well, he used this word, uh, but he only used it once. Like say if, if there was a, a, a letter by Paul that only used one letter or one word in one letter and they're like, oh, well, that means that this thing is out. Well, there are letters that we know Abraham Lincoln wrote where he only used that one word that one time in his public records. Mm. So does that mean that Abraham Lincoln didn't write that letter? Yeah. Like it, like higher criticism is honestly kind of a joke. Uh, I'm all, I am all for textual criticism, like figuring out as close as we can, what the original manuscripts of the Bible said. That's a great thing to do. And you have guys like uh, Michael Kruger and James White doing really good scholarship on that. Uh, but 
it comes down to whether it's from an unbelieving or believing worldview. That's really important. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's one thing that uh, you know my uh, my son, my my eldest son, is you know is very interested. And this, this is going a slightly different direction, but is very interested in in paleontology, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, because dinosaurs, I mean, really, and uh, but he's he's ten, and so he's certainly old enough to realize that hey. A lot of the stuff that these people are talking about doesn't necessarily line up with uh, what I've learned from the Bible, what I've learned from from yep. dad, what I've learned from Sunday school, or or you know the school that that he goes to, and I'm like, and he, <laughs> you know, the other night it really came to a head because he said, "I'm going to be a Christian paleontologist because it just seems that it's going to be easier." Um. <laughs> Because there wouldn't be as many dates to figure out, <laughs> um, and uh, and that and that's not alluding to old Earth, young Earth. We haven't had that discussion, right? Uh, but uh, what it really came down to that I, I told him is like the, the difference isn't how you do the science; the difference is how you interpret it based upon your starting point. If you come into yep. the starting point yep. with the understanding and belief that the universe sovereignly created by God on high, you are going to reach a different set of assumptions and, uh, and outcomes from an experience, uh, experiment from observation, what have you, than someone who comes in uh, with the presupposition that the universe uh, started from nothing. Um, which it did, but without the intervention of a sovereign God. If you right. come from that perspective, then your findings with uh, are going to be significantly different with uh, long tail um, macro evolution uh, pieces being introduced and in different ways you're going to shape your observations and interpret your measurements and things like that. And very, very similar. Uh, to what's going on in higher criticism is it's it really comes to that foundational starting point um uh trying to think of what was a part ehrman yeah um yep you know, I, brilliant I, guy oh 100 i i i heard uh i heard him speak uh once um and i could definitely see where he's coming from if he was if he came into that observation with the presupposition that uh, uh, that there is no God, that there is no creator. And this was at the time. I'm not sure where he's at now, but this was this was easily fifteen years ago when I saw him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that starting point is is ultimately so important. Yeah. And that's and that's why honestly I've I've trended more toward a presuppositional apologetic too. Is you know you can look at a believer and an unbeliever can look at the exact same evidence, and they have wildly different conclusions mm-hmm. to that evidence because of their presuppositions. And so they they and the Bible says they know God exists. It's just that they suppress that truth. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's the same thing with with this higher textual criticism stuff. Um, it's, they know, they know what they're doing deep down. Well, it's, I think part of that is, is the desire from a scholastical uh, viewpoint to not introduce, they have this feeling to not, that they do not want to introduce their own biases onto their research. But here's the thing. That means that they are autom- If they remove uh the uh, essentially the the existence or the magnitude of god from that they view that as a presupposition that they have a bias that they have what they're doing then is they're putting their own bias yep um, um of you know whether it be atheism or agnosticism if we were to put a big old label on it they're mm-hmm. they're introducing that into it as well there will never be 
whether it be apologetics, science, textual criticism, that is without presupposition. What we need to do is we need to, in fact, realize what ours is. Yep, exactly. Exactly. That's, um, that's really good. I had something to say and I forgot it. Um, last question. Brian Morris says or asks, how should we respond to plagiarism from the pulpit? I think I think it kind of depends on how we're defining plagiarism, right? Like if you take an illustration from somebody, say you read a Charles Spurgeon sermon, you jack an illustration. Okay, it's an illustration. Uh, you know, you can't cite an entire commentary <laughs> all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I, but I have heard of uh, I have a good friend who was uh, at a church, and the preacher does his thing and whatever. And somebody was like, "Wait a minute, that sounded familiar." Well, it turns out that he had verbatim illustrations and everything, and had only changed names for his family. Uh, copied a Perry Noble sermon. <laughs> <laughs> verbatim the whole thing and uh that turned into a mess <laughs> sure <laughs> it, it, it sounds like brian's uh he he says his example is he once witnessed a pastor uh call reading at length from a william barclay commentary his sermon now it seems like that pastor owned up to that yeah and, and there was a conscious decision to use that that's not plagiarism but it is perhaps lazy uh <laughs> lazy sloppy yeah yeah i mean we would be uh we would be fools to completely disregard the body of work from the body of christ that has gone before us in the just, just simply in the name of well it's already been done right you know, it's entirely possible that perhaps no one has ever written about the state of man more clearly as, as far as, as uh, uh, non-inspired, non-scriptural uh, writing. Perhaps no one has ever written about the state of man better than Jonathan Edwards and Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Perhaps they never have. Would it be then uh, inappropriate for us to disregard that and be mm. like, I can say that a different way. Just because he wrote it in his context for his congregation that he was called to shepherd doesn't mean that if it's appropriate in our context for the congregations we're called to shepherd that we can't use it. Does that mean we call it our own? No, I don't think any of us have the amount of Puritan angst within our hearts to be able to pull it off as our own creation. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've seen multiple times that an entire sermon for Reformation Day was read, although read well, one of Martin Luther's sermons. Mm, now, yeah. that goes into the kind of the Luther fanboy thing that we've got going on in the Lutheran church. <laughs> uh, but in general... Just because he's dead and not the pastor of your church does not mean that it wasn't good work that was written. And that brings up another question of, is it acceptable to outright read someone and being honest about that, mm -hmm. right? Is saying, hey, for this sermon, I'm going to read Jonathan Edwards' sermon or Martin Luther's sermon. That's, that's a really interesting question that I have never thought about. And I don't know that I have an answer for that. Mm. I mean, I've uh, I've actually used um, uh, some lengthy excerpts from Sinners in the Hands of an Anchor God in, yeah. in the message before. Uh, and, you know, I, I know, but, but I've, ne but never reading uh, the whole thing. I've certainly seen scripture read chapter and verse straight through as the message, mostly in Paul's pastoral letters. Mm -hmm. um, I've and, seen, um, 
what was it? It was Matt Chandler, and they were starting the book of James, mm. I think. And so the first half, like he he had he did like the first couple verses, and so the first half was kind of teeing up the series. And he's like, I really want you to hear the entirety of this book right now. And so the last half, he took like 20 minutes and just read the whole thing. And that was the sermon. And I I thought it landed pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that really the thing is, is, is if you do it because, you know, this theologian is cool. Yeah. uh, I mean, certainly if you do it because you're lazy, I mean, right out, don't, I mean, then, you know, how, how dare you be in the office in which you were in? Um, but how dare you, sorry, get my Greta Thunberg on. Um, <laughs> don't worry. My wife's car is a V8. I'm not that, I'm not that crazy. Um, and you drive an old truck, so <laughs> I drive two trucks. <laughs> and you know what? It's so freaking cold outside; it hasn't made a bit of difference. Frankly, I'm disappointed. Uh, Ford, get it together with your emissions. They're not putting out nearly as nearly enough. Um, yeah, if, if you're if you're lazy, obviously, right out. Um, if you do it because it's cool, uh, but that's where the benefits end, where the uh, appropriateness ends, where the uh, um, oh, I lost the word I'm looking for, but uh, you know where it fits. If that's not where it fits, but it's just cool, don't do it. But if it's something that's been put on your heart, uh, that would be a fantastic way to present the gospel and the law in in due ratio to to your congregation. Um, and uh, you can do it in a way that, that you feel that they would respond well to it. And you own that this is someone else's work. Give it a whirl. Let us know yep. what happens. Yep. Good stuff, man. Make mm. sure you uh, share the show on Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff. Follow us. Westminster Effects. Westminster Effects.com. You want to sign us off proper, John? Because I can never do it. Sure. Uh, as Cody said, thank you for listening. Be sure to keep those questions coming in the Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Uh, check out all of the Sonic wares available at WestminsterFX.com. And we will see you back here next week uh, for, uh, for Cody and Bradley, who's not with us this morning. I'm John. Thank you for listening.